Welcome to Nightmerica, a podcast that takes you on a tour of the abnormal, paranormal, weirdly true, and truly weird in every corner across this nation because, to paraphrase Ray Parker Jr., whether it's ghosts, aliens, monsters, or monstrous humans, there's something strange in your neighborhoods. I'm Aaron Sagers. I'm one half of the co-hosting duo of Nightmerica and, uh, and Brit. Hello, joining you from across the country. Yes, I feel like Ray Parker Jr. is sort of our de facto third co-host because <laughs> we do give him credit and love every every uh, episode. Yep, yet still have never seen Ghostbusters. Right. Have you heard the entirety of the song? Have you watched the music video of the Who You Gonna Call Ghostbusters theme song? Nope, not at all. It's like a time capsule from the 80s. It's uh, is like a lot of cameos by uh, various 80s personalities randomly showing up in the video. And um, it's such a moment in time. And also, I don't know if we've talked about this before, but did we talk about Ron Jeremy at the end of Ghostbusters? No. I Ron Jeremy like the porn star or Ron Jeremy like the anchorman? Uh, no, um, that's Ron Burgundy. Um, but Ron Jeremy, the, uh, adult film star, also known as the hedgehog, he, what, why, uh, probably cause he's short and hairy and, um, I don't know. And prickly. You want to keep going with that description? Uh, I've met Ron Jeremy and he (laughs) sent me a bottle of rum once, Rhonda Jeremy, uh, which I still have. I still have a bottle of Ron Jeremy's rum, but he was at the in the final scene of Ghostbusters. I won't spoil it for you, Britt, since you haven't seen it. But <laughs> there is a scene at the end of Ghostbusters, a crowd scene, and Ron Jeremy is in it. And that was before he was Ron Jeremy. Who was he then? Well, he was still Ron Jeremy, but maybe before he was the hedgehog. <laughs> it was like before Bruce Wayne becomes Batman. Got it. It's before anything. Got it. So yeah, Ray Parker Jr. So As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. 
every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Anyhow, I don't know how we really got off on that tangent, but <laughs> anyhow. How does anyone get off on any tangent? <laughs> Uh, how does anyone get off on a Ron Jeremy tangent? <laughs> that's a loaded, that's a whole loaded, uh, conversation, it seems like. Uh, so, this week, our topic is beaches. We're gonna talk about some weird happenings at various beaches, but I think before we get into that, I'm curious, what beaches did you grow up on? Which beaches do you have, like, a fondness for were they chicago beaches french beaches having grown up in uh in france french beaches for sure um my most favorite beach would be going to the monaco coastline um because it's not sand it's all sea glass so as a kid you'd be wandering and it almost felt like this magical world because you'd see all these blue turquoise gray green sea glass and of course everyone would collect them so that always was my kind of highlight of beaches. And then coming to the States, uh, having family in Florida and California, we would go see each of those kind of sandy coastlines. And of course, I love them. They're so much more comfortable to walk on than the sea glass beaches. But I just think there's something so gorgeous and serene about like the colorful sea glass. I mean, you but you were like grew up all around beaches. So you probably have a ton of favorite beaches. Uh, I don't know about a ton. Well, actually, my favorite beaches in the whole world are not in Florida where I grew up. But yes, I did grow up around, I mean, Florida is a peninsula after all, surrounded on three sides by water. For those of you that don't know your peninsulas from your archipelago. Uh, But yeah, I, I grew up around a lot of beaches. And I have a fondness for things like Cocoa Beach or even Daytona Beach, which is not a great beach, or New Smyrna Beach. But honestly, my favorite beaches are things in the Caribbean, places in the Caribbean, Mm. like Turks and Caicos or uh, Scottish beaches. I've been on, you know, not really, not really warm enough to swim on, but beaches that just are epic in grandeur and uh, mystery has like that sense of mystery where you look out on the water and uh, you just feel like there's some sort of either ghost ship out there or a monster or something really cool happening. A monster with tiny heads and big eyes like you talked about in your boat story perhaps? That's right. That's a good callback. Yes, the the monsters with the tiny heads and the big eyes. Or I don't know, all sorts of uh, creatures out there. Mermaids and mermen Sirens. and various you know creatures. What? Sirens? sirens uh all sort of beasties i mean i feel like you know the ocean is so deep and vast that who knows what what lies out there what creatures lurk but oddly enough i'm not telling a sea i'm not telling a sea monster story today all right well you love a good sea monster story so maybe for another day we definitely should talk about loch ness i love her uh right we we should did i tell you that i went swimming in loch ness no it was a brief swim. It probably doesn't even classify as a swim, but we're just going to go with that. But I did go out in the water at Loch Ness. It was very cold. And it was, even though I'm not too concerned about getting eaten by Nessie, 
there was this moment of becoming aware of the unknown, becoming aware of suddenly you're you're willfully stepping into something that part of you is just like what you know what's behind this what is mm-hmm. this you know and that's that's kind of cool well it's like when you're a kid and you play those games where they like put spaghetti in a box and you have to put your hand in it but you can't see what's in it and you have to say like it's brains right did they they <laughs> i i mean i know what you're talking about it was a, like old like cheesy but fun uh haunted houses yeah yeah they yeah. would do peeled grapes as like the uh the eyeballs and whatnot. <laughs> yes i actually i there was a tv show on sci-fi this might be too much of a tangent there was a tv show on sci-fi that i briefly kind of crossed paths with where that was the whole thing where you would go feel stuff in tanks like snakes or rodents or whatever and i went through it and it was it was cool because i was guessing everything that uh, you're supposed to guess what was in the tanks they're like, you didn't seem too freaked out by any of that. And I kind of felt like saying, you're talking to the guy that, you know, chooses to walk into dark places and ask <laughs> if there's any, you know, ghosts in there. Yeah. Anyhow, that said, uh, that's a long-winded setup to beaches. And I'm curious, what did, I don't know how we chose this, but what was sort of the tale that you decided to pursue for this one? So for my story today, uh, Aaron threw me a little bit for a loop by claiming the true crime story, normally my go-to. So I am going with a ghost story, um, but I'm doing my own spin on it by doing a ghosty love story. How do you like That's that? Very lovely. I like it a lot. I love I love uh, sweet ghost stories. Yeah. Um, and this is actually a beach that you probably know and well uh love because it's the St. Petersburg beach in Florida. Okay. Um, so I got most of my sources from the Naples daily news, an article by Tom Williams, uh, Tampa Bay news by Tiffany Rosano, and then a book called ghost hunting Florida by Dave Laffam. And I am doing the story, um, of the beach outside of the Don Cesar hotel also known as the Pink Lady or the Pink Palace, the gorgeous hotel on the St. Petersburg Beach. So my story starts with Thomas Rowe. He was a Massachusetts man who in 1893 was in school in London. Um, and he, as you know, any college student does, got really into the opera scene. Um, naturally. Naturally. So one night he was attending the Martina Opera and fell deeply in love with a woman who played the title character, um, a stunning brunette woman named Lucinda de Guzman. He ran outside to meet her after the performance, as you do, um, and just instantly fell in love, and she equally fell in love with him, and they started this whole secret relationship. Um, They would see each other on the down low. They would sneak away to this fountain in the middle of town where they could meet each other privately. Um, But Lucinda was Spanish nobility. And when her family found out that they were starting to talk of eloping, they moved Lucinda back to Spain. Obviously, Thomas was heartbroken. Um, He wrote to her in Spain for years, but she was never given the letters 
And then she died young and she never knew that he kept looking for her. Um, and on her deathbed, he actually wrote, or she actually wrote him a note that said, Tom, my beloved Don Cesar, Don Cesar was the, um, love interest of Martina in the opera. So that's what they nicknamed each other. Um, she says, forgive them both as I have, meaning her parents, never would I despair, nor could I forsake you. We found each other before and we will do so again. This life is only an intermediate. I leave it without regret and travel to a place where the swing of the pendulum does not bring pain. Time is infinite. I will wait for you by our fountain to share our timeless love. Destiny is time. I mean, isn't that so beautiful? I mean, as I, like, I wish I could write a letter that poignant and strong and romantic as opposed to, like, miss you lots. You uh, up? Yeah, you up. Yeah, <laughs> I, I would write that in a letter. Yes, that's classic, <laughs> classic letter writing. I um, once, but... when I was living in Chicago, had a neighbor text me asking if I had any cheese I think like clearly was like let me hit you up to come over I was like no I don't have cheese and I'm not sleeping with you <laughs> wow a so dairy dairy products as a booty call that's a new one to me <laughs> exactly so I would much rather get this this letter um it was given to Thomas at this point in his life, he had moved to Florida and kind of begrudgingly married this woman. Um, he did not want to marry her. He loved Lucinda. He did not care for this woman, but he did what you had to do in the 1920s, and he married someone. Um, when he got this letter, he, of course, was devastated, and he decided to construct a hotel for Lucinda, um, so in 1925, the Don Cesar Hotel was built, of course, in the title of the main love interest in the Maritana Opera. Um, in it, he built an exact replica of the fountain where they would secretly meet. So sweet. And they said he would walk by it every single day um, in his signature Panama hat of the time. Um, and just kind of look at it wistfully. He did eventually pass away in 1940 um, and left the hotel to his estranged wife, um, who was really terrible at managing the hotel. And of course, it eventually fell into disrepair. It changed hands a few times, but most interestingly was the United States Army Air Corps Convalescent Center, which is pretty interesting. Um, but in 1972, it underwent a multi-million dollar restoration and is now one of the top hotels on St. Petersburg Beach. Um, but now this brings us to the spooky point of the story, as much as I would love to t just tell you guys a sweet love story. Um, one night, a front desk clerk was finishing her shift and decided to walk along the beach and enjoy the sunset. But she wasn't alone on the beach. As she's walking along the waterline, she looks up and saw a man also walking in front of her. Uh, but she noticed him because he looked super out of place. He was wearing a really old-fashioned suit, had a cane, and a Panama hat, 
which was Thomas's signature look. Um, she looked to kind of see around the area if anyone else saw what she saw. But of course, when she turned back around, he was gone. Uh, another guest staying uh, said they saw a young couple walking on the beach at sunset hand in hand. And they also stood out uh, because he was wearing a traditional like white suit, the kind of like tropical white linen suits you see um, in a Panama hat. And the woman had long, dark hair and was wearing a Spanish-style peasant dress. Um, so again, standing out because they aren't wearing traditional clothing. And then they disappeared as the sun started to set and the light shifted. Um, so those are two of the stories. There are a few others. Um, the hotel was actually really famous for baseball players when baseball was kind of coming up and around in Florida, that's where they would all stay. Um, so there's rumors that certain ghosty baseball players have been walking the grounds. Um, also army men, since it was where the army had been stationed for a while. But I love to think of these two lovebirds having found themselves together in the afterlife. And uh, Deborah Freetham is a storyteller in the St. Petersburg area. And this story is like one of her favorite to tell. Um, and Aaron kind of talked about this before, but most ghost stories are sad. And people died in tough ways or, uh, you know, had hard lives. But these were two people that couldn't be together in this life. And so they found themselves in their second life. And now they're together. And it's like an energy of joy and happiness in the hotel because they were finally reunited. Well, there's a lot of happy, well, sweet, heartwarming ghost stories out there. And a so many of them connected to love stories, lost loves, or, um, you know, uh, separated loves, things like that. And it really, I think it says something about our desire to, look, we, you know, we love a good romantic story, and there is something sweet about the idea that even if you can't quite figure it out in life in this form, that maybe in the next life you can sort of have another go at it. I also should say that Thomas's wardrobe is on point. It sounds like something I would wear. Uh, <laughs> totally. I do not. I, I do have a Panama hat, which I wear, but I don't have a white linen suit. However, oh, I so frequently think about purchasing one. However, I will say not to discredit the story, but in Florida, pretty much any time of the year, you're going to find someone wearing a, a linen suit and a Panama hat. That's just sort of a, a almost like a de facto outfit for some people now that doesn't mean that there is not a ghost moving about it just means that that's not really as out of date of a, a wardrobe choice at least not down in florida in florida true yeah but uh but no it is a it is a sweet heartwarming story and and at least it's also not one where thomas was like a dick or something where he had, there's there's some ghost stories where uh the the man sets about having some sort of challenge like stay out on this roof during the coldest night of the year and then mm -hmm. you will prove your true love to me and of course she freezes and dies and he feels terrible because he didn't think she'd actually do it that's a story out of new orleans that kind of thing uh happens a lot so this is at least kind of sweet it's so sweet and they found each other and 
God, it's what we all hope for, you know? Do you, does someone, is someone in possession of this letter? Uh, that's a good, good question. I don't know. I they just know it. that the text of the letter was they discovered? They know the text of the letter, yes. Okay. Yeah, that, that'd be interesting to find out. And yeah. and then it should be taught in schools as far as how to write a damn fine love letter to your your lost love. Yeah. So I like that. Nightmarica is excited to announce we have a new sponsor, Manscaped. And to talk about the men's grooming kits, we have a really big fan of Manscaped. But not a man, a Sasquatch. From the Florida Everglades, let's welcome Skunk Ape to the show. Thanks for joining, Mr. Ape. Oh, Skunk is fine, just fine. That's uh, that's what my friends call me. Even though you're an elusive cryptid, you're able to have a social life? Oh, sure, sure. Wood booger, yeah, we mow, mow, wendigo, mow, galong. We all, we all hang out. Well, that's great. With all those friends, it's probably important to look your best. We take a lot of pride in how we look uh, in the Sasquatch community, especially uh, since, uh, as you can imagine, there ain't a whole heck of a lot of us out there, so it gets pretty darn competitive getting attention from the lady squatches. So the Lawnmower 3.0 from Manscaped has a durable, skin-safe ceramic blade when you groom your, uh, squatchy regions. Don't you know it? That Lawnmower 3.0 holds an edge, so I'm less likely to nick my nugs. It's happened before, and it ain't pretty. There's blood everywhere. Everyone down in the glades heard me howl out that one time. Whoop, whoop! That's what, that's what it sounded like when I nicked my nugs. But not with this Lawnmower 3.0. Dude, that's intense. I have certainly been there. It is no fun at all. Skunky, I imagine grooming down there probably takes a lot of time because you're a pretty big guy. Well, you know what they say about big feet. Big shoes? Big balls! Yep, right, sizable. Sasquasticles. Big old ones. But with them lithium-ion batteries I can charge that puppy up on the USB dock, I can use it for 90 minutes. It's even waterproof, so I can fire it up in the glades and take a good long time getting my squashticles right where they needs to be. Well, with that waterproof technology, that's got to be helpful in the glades. Or even for a human like me who uses the shower. Is the Manscaped Lawnmower 3.0 getting you noticed down there? Only in the right ways. All the lady squatches or, or men, no, no judgment, they take notice. But I can still stay hidden because with that quiet stroke technology... It does not make a lot of noise and attract unwanted look-a-loos. And that's a very important part of the Squatch Code. You gotta stay undercover, you know? I can even groom up my Squashticles in the middle of the night. Because it's got an LED light on it, so you can see where your Patterson and Gimlin are. It's a memorable pair. And speaking of memorable pairs, you also like the Manscaped Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant and Crop Reviver Ball Toner. Well, you might have heard I have a bit of an odor issue, hence the nickname Skunky. And with the Florida humidity, uh, I can smell pretty darn ripe down there. So I use that Manscaped Ball Deodorant to, to make the Squashicles smell fresh as a daisy and the Ball Toner to freshen up when Skunk turns to funk. Maybe we should start calling you Flowers instead of Skunky. Well, Skunky, if you or your Squatch Buddies or any listeners out there want to groom safely, and who doesn't, head over to manscaped.com and enter code NIGHTMERICA for 20% off plus free shipping off your order. For one more time, that's... Squatchscaped. No, no, it's not. It's Manscaped. Manscaped, the right tools for the job.
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Well, that was such a sweet story that I feel like you should have gone second because mine is a downer and <laughs> terrible and gruesome. Um, so so, it's so right buckle in, alley. folks. Yeah, it is right up your alley. It's I, I think you'll like this one. Uh, so have you heard of the Lady of the Dunes? Is she in Michigan? She is not in Michigan. Okay, then no. Well, I at least at least in Michigan. This one is not. Maybe there is another one. But so this story goes back to 1974. It was July 26, 1974 in the Race Point Dunes in Provincetown, Massachusetts. Different mm. state. Now, it, it would seem that this was an overall cool summer. It was definitely a cold day. It was around 65 degrees to maybe 70 degrees Fahrenheit. But it had been a pretty cool stretch. A young girl of around 12 years old was outside. She was following a family friend's dog. And the dog caught scent of something, ran into the dunes. And the young girl followed the trail of this dog. And that trail led to the naked, decomposing body of a woman. And this is the story of the Lady of the Dunes. She was face down. She was laying atop half of a green beach blanket. Under her head was a pair of Wrangler jeans and a blue bandana. I believe they were folded underneath her head. And her toenails were painted pink. This is just an odd little detail, but one of the details where there's so many details missing. She had expensive dental work, which was described as the New York style because they were all very expensive, but you know, gold crowns that were between five and ten thousand dollars. However, some of those, several of those teeth were missing. Also missing were her hands. The cause of her death was homicide by blunt force trauma to the head with an instrument that was similar to a military entrenching tool which is like a sharp shovel a folding shovel her head was nearly decapitated by the tool as well and she did appear to have been sexually assaulted assaulted after her death hmm. another odd detail out of many is that piles of pine needles had been set in the sand in place of her hands what yeah it's weird so she could have been as young as 20 years old or as old as 49 years old 
was likely probably between 25 and 35 years old. Her hair was auburn or reddish color. It was tied in a ponytail with a kind of a glitterly, glittery elastic band. She was around 145 pounds, pretty athletic build, and about 5'6". Now, I mentioned she could have been as young as 20 or as old as 49. Keep in mind this area in the dunes because of insects and weather and the fact mm-hmm. that she may have been out there between 10 days up to mm-hmm. three weeks. She was badly decomposed. Yeah. She was found about five years uh, five yards away from a local access road and there were two sets of footprints leading to the sand however there was no sign of struggle there were tire tracks nearby there was no alcohol or drugs in her system it was theorized she may have been murdered while sleeping as if she was lying next to someone on the other side of the sheet missing re- persons report nothing Yielded nothing. There was nothing from the dental records that uh, yielded anything. There were some leads as far as a Maryland woman suspected the woman was her sister. And this woman said that they had lost touch when the sister moved to nearby Boston sometime before the murder. This didn't seem to go anywhere. And I, in my research, I couldn't quite figure out what had happened to that one. And this is a story that's been written about multiple outlets medium.com did a pretty good breakdown recent breakdown on it but every newspaper especially in new england area had talked about this in 1987 a canadian woman told police that she had visited provincetown when she was five years old and saw her father strangle a woman which is so weird now and it and this is such a frustrating detail because Apparently, there was some sort of a delay. I don't know whether it's between the Canadian police and then the Massachusetts police, but there was some sort of delay following up on this. And in the meanwhile, the lead went cold and the woman just disappeared. Mm. Not not disappeared, but it moved away, fallen off the radar. Yeah, wasn't able to get in touch with. Yeah. There was a time when authorities thought the woman was an escaped drug dealer and bank robber whose name was Rory Jean Kessinger, but... The DNA didn't match up. There was a murderer slash cannibal who was uh, who is now in prison, who confessed to the murder while he was in prison. However, his confession was doubted due to paranoid schizophrenia, and he also was saying things like, "Oh, I, you know, I killed her." He confessed it in a letter, and then he also confessed it elsewhere. But I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna tell the police or tell the guards because they roughed me up while I was in prison. But it was highly doubted something that seemed a little bit more possible was mob boss whitey bulger was a suspect because he was seen in the provincetown area and he was seen with a woman that was similar looking around the same time he was known for frequenting local bar in the area and he was also known for trying to identify Uh, to erase identifying marks on victims such as Mm -hmm. teeth hands he was killed in prison in 2018 uh, Mm -hmm. which was not too long ago no it was super recent it was actually shortly after black mass came out if i'm not mistaken uh i don't know for certain but that they weren't related of course but so all of this is weird this is a really tragic story this uh, woman 46 years dead no identity just somehow no one's come forward to really give a legitimate claim Mm -hmm. 
So in 2015, now Jaws is one of my favorite movies. It's it's one of my movies that I watch all the time, certainly during the summer. If it's on TV, I stop and I watch it and I'm not alone. That movie uh, was filming in the area, not Provincetown, but in Martha's Vineyard um, in 1974. And it was filming between May to October of that year. Now, in 2015, author Joe Hill, who you know as the creator of Lock and Key, which is a show out on Netflix right now and a great series of graphic novels, and also the author behind Nosferatu and a bunch of other uh, books. He's a, a really great author and big fan of his. Yeah. He also happens to be the son of Stephen King. Lock and so, Key was great. We watched it together. Yeah, it was. I didn't finish it, though. Um, Neither did I. So, Joe Hill, also a fan of Jaws. 2015, he's re-watching Jaws. Shortly after reading a book about cold cases called The Skeleton Crew. About 54 minutes into the movie, there's a scene. You have seen Jaws, correct? I have seen Jaws, and now I am realizing that I know this story. Okay. Because well, she... Okay. Well... There's a scene about 54 minutes into the movie where the crowd is arriving to uh, Amity Island for the 4th of July weekend. So they obviously filmed um, a a crowd of extras. In fact, it was pretty terrible filming conditions because it was also cold uh, during this time. We know that we know the crowded beach scenes were at least partially being shot on June 21st. So, Hill is re-watching this, and he notices a woman who looks similar to what the Lady of the Dunes may have looked like, wearing a blue bandana and jeans. Maybe not a Wrangler pair of jeans, but a similar build. Now, again, because of the, the bad decomposition of that body, it's hard to say precisely what she looks like. There's been some reconstruction showing uh, throughout the years, in fact, and also through two two uh so her body was exhumed at least twice um but joe hill sees a woman that appears to look very similar to the lady of the dunes and yeah just to repeat jaws filmed from may to october that year in martha's vineyard that's about 100 miles away from provincetown and it's not entirely out of the realm of the possible this was a big movie being filmed there it was a big deal not out of the realm of possibility that a woman would travel from 100 miles away to go check out the celebrities and the filming mm-hmm. that's happening there and an entertainment weekly reporter tried to pursue this story but th- but found that universal studios couldn't find the extra's name in their records and also the casting director for jaws died in 2009 now hill wrote about it on a Tumblr page that's, I believe, defunct now, his story kind of kicked off a new wave of interest and really became a viral story. Uh, Esquire wrote about it. Uh, I've, I've read so many different accounts on it. Esquire did a good piece on it. Now, it's an eerie thought that one of the biggest block, the first blockbuster, arguably, and one of the biggest movies in pop culture may have caught this woman as an extra, 
this woman that remains a mystery. And Hill, to quote him directly, said, quote, It is a hell of a what if, isn't it? What if the young murder victim no one has ever been able to identify has been seen by hundreds of millions of people in a beloved summer classic and they didn't even know they were looking at her? What if the ghost of the Lady of the Dunes haunts Jaws? And not only Jaws, she haunts the family of the young girl that discovered the body and the the sister, whose name is Alyssa Metcalf, um, said that it always stayed with our family. It's like this kinship with this case. And 46 years later, it remains unsolved and the Lady of the Dunes is buried in St. Peter's Cemetery in Provincetown, Massachusetts. Uh, Violent, eerie, spooky, kind of all together and connected to pop culture. Yeah. So you had heard of this one then? I have. I what reminded me is that she was an extra in Jaws. That I have heard before. Possibly. Maybe my favorite murder did the story on it. Someone did. So possibly. I mean, one never knows whether it's... I, I mean, it's also worth pointing out that in the mid-70s, a bandana and jeans, maybe not the most unusual yeah. outfit. Um, totally. So it's, you know, one can't say for certain... And, and even as far as Joe Hill's thing, he, he admits, hey, look, I'm a storyteller. I My brain goes into these dark places and comes up with odd stories. That's my job. And and he was willing to accept this just might be crazy. However, there were people, including some detectives, that said, look, um, you know, uh, cases have been cracked with odd pieces of information that can just send you on a whole other path. So I don't know. It's... It is sad and strange that this woman just avoided any kind of identification. Not just her murderer, but her murderer, who may very well still be out there 46 years later. Totally. May have even been another extra on the show. Um, I mean, I guess we can't say 100% not the mm-hmm. case, but I, I mean, one never knows. You one never, never know. knows. Um, I mean, there was so, a serial killer on the set of, what was it, Poltergeist? Rosemary's Baby? One of the famous ones, there's a serial killer who plays a doctor. I don't recall that. Maybe it was Poltergeist. He was like the extra doctor. Hmm. Anyway, we could do a mini-sode that. episode on it. We probably could. The, I mean, there are certainly, I've talked at length in the past about supposed curses and things that are attached to movie productions a lot of it ends up being just coincidence and occasionally uh negligence and mismanagement on set but there are also some pretty eerie things connected with those so what's your so what's your take on this story is that i mean uh, you're you're more of the true crime pro was that a good true crime story well not good but a yeah i'd be curious like what police would have to say i'd be curious like who any suspects were um yeah it's fascinating the needles for hands like the pine needles for hands i mean you bring up whitey bulger that feels very likely if she maybe had a scar or 
maybe she was missing a finger, like that is something he could do to hide any sort of evidence. Um, he did dump bodies frequently along beaches, so that also could be. Yeah, it's fascinating. Yeah, and you can look up copies of the police report out there, and there's there's a lot that's been written on this. Again, like Joe Hill really brought this into the forefront in 2005 is when I first heard about it. Um, and then every couple of years, it sort of it, it jumps back into the uh the pop culture awareness i mean it's also one of the very few unex uh, unsolved murders in that area so it continues to plague the area and that the case remains open so I, yeah I, I it's one that that is indeed creepy mm-hmm. however also gruesome and violent and it is a, a human life that was mm-hmm. snuffed out and and for me, I was thinking, like, maybe we could do, like, a palate cleanser uh, after that one. What do you say to that? I love it. I think that's an excellent idea. Well, I, I'm glad you agree. It's almost like we discussed this beforehand. Uh, <laughs> I, On that note, like I said, I am a fan of Joe Hill's work. And through the course of my work as a journalist and researcher and also, you know, writer of paranormal things... I've interviewed him on a couple occasions, and at one point, he told me a ghost story. So this is not set on beaches, so we're breaking the rules a little bit, but it's a Joe Hill ghost story of sorts, sort of. So, and it's a place that I'm actually familiar with and have stayed at. So I'm going to go ahead and play Joe Hill's response when I asked him about his own ghost story, if he had ever encountered a ghost. I found a bed and breakfast in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. Um, I forget the name of it. You could probably find it online. Um, there's a bed and breakfast in Bethlehem um, that it's in an old, old building, and and they offer uh, they they claim to be haunted by several ghosts, and they offer a package deal called Room with a Boo. And um, what it is is you get to stay in room, you, you pay extra, and you get to stay in nine, room 932, which is the haunted room. And if you're lucky, you know, hopefully you'll have your sleep disturbed by a haunting. And I, you know, I got pretty excited. I thought, oh, this is great. And, and I called up, and I couldn't get the room with the boo. It was already booked, but I could get the room right under it. So I got room 832. And, you know, and then I'm, I call my parents, I'm calling folks, I'm like, oh, what happens if I die of fright? You think they still charge my credit card if I die of fright in the middle of the night? You know, and I was, uh, you know, yucking it up. I got to the place, I love Bethlehem's great town, beautiful old hotel, and Elf was a little odd. It's kind of irregularly shaped. Um, it's not, it, it has funny corners in it. And and I went to sleep. I felt very easy in my mind. And at 2 in the morning, I woke up feeling more terrified than I'd ever felt in my life over anything. I was just, you know, it's like all the cliches. I was paralyzed with it. I, I felt certain there was someone in the room with me at the end of the bed. And I couldn't lift my head to look at him. I was too scared. And I... I mean, I, I was only half awake. I don't know what I was dreaming about or anything, but I remember I screamed, go away, as loud as I could. And, and 
upstairs in the room above me, the room with the booth, I heard someone shout and I heard stuff crashing over. I managed to scare myself. But not only did I manage to scare myself, I managed to give the people in the room with the boo the experience they were hoping for. Because when I scream, because when I scream my hair, my head off, I, I definitely, I definitely managed to frighten them, and I, you know, you could hear them just about pissing themselves upstairs. So I feel like I, I helped the hotel out there. So that's Joe Hill's ghost story from the uh, the Bethlehem Hotel. I stayed at this hotel. I actually lived down the street from it as well, and it, you would constantly talk to people that believed that there was things happening in this hotel but what i especially love about this ghost story is the idea of like there's supposed haunted rooms and hotels or whatever but that's only rules that we apply to it saying this is the haunted mm-hmm. room there's nothing saying that the ghost can't just like pop down to the room below or you know across the hall or whatever uh and the fact that he had some weird happening and yet the people that paid extra for it well, I guess they thought they had something, but they didn't really. That's that's my favorite part, is that they thought they had something extra happening, but it was really just the person downstairs, like, screaming at his own ghost that he did not pay extra for. And they'll go forward, that couple, hopefully, I mean, hopefully they'll hear this, but if they, you know, it, they'll go forward retelling this story about the time that it was totally worth it that they spent the money for the room with a boo. Have you ever actively like stayed in a haunted room no but i want to so bad i also would like to stay in a hotel in a room with a boo a room with a boo yes i mean i do like the wordplay uh i have i mean obviously i've stayed in a lot of rooms that are that are called the haunted room but a lot of times any weird stuff that happens to me is the places that you're not expecting it that are not the the quote-unquote uh haunted rooms but yeah, yeah so like your ship the ship that you stayed on in the queen mary yeah the, the whole the whole ship of the queen mary is supposedly mm-hmm. haunted so it's all over the place but um yeah i mean i've stayed in some really nice rooms that were supposed to be haunted but i still had a lovely night's sleep which is good too because you know sleep's important i i will oftentimes <laughs> probably take sleep over a ghost interrupting my sleep um yeah me too so, uh, so yeah, there, thanks to Joe Hill for, for yeah, that story. I think, uh, you know, Nightmarica thanks you for um, both your, your observation skills with the Lady of the Dunes and for your ghost tale. That said, I think, um, I think we covered some ground here with some... I mean, obviously, there's a lot more weird things happening on beaches. A lot of ghost stories on beaches and a lot of true crime on beaches. This could be a whole focus of an entire show uh, or multiple episodes beyond this. But uh, what'd you think? Yeah, I mean, doing research for this show, there's so many stories that popped up along beaches. And when Aaron told me that he had a true crime story on a beach, of course, I first think like, oh, is it the Somerton Man? No. Oh, was it the children in Australia that went missing on the beach? No. It's like just the first things that come to your mind, you know, or there's so many different options. So, yeah, I feel like we could definitely do this again. Um, And if you, our listeners, have any personal stories, you can email them to us at nightmericashow at gmail.com. Excellent. 
And yeah, and don't forget to, well, if you haven't already, hit the little subscribe and leave a review, leave a rating, share this with your friends, your family, your loved ones, even an enemy. It's a good time to share a podcast with your enemy. <laughs> it Make is. amends. In, in quarantine, it, we need stuff to keep us happy. And we've got exciting news. We found out this morning that we are on iHeartRadio now. Um, we're on Stitcher, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, over literally wherever you want to listen. We're there. We are where you want us to be. And hopefully that's, uh, and obviously you found us somewhere. So uh, thanks for finding <laughs> Thank us. Thank you. So look, uh, wherever you found us, we hope we find you right back here for another episode of Nightmarica. We're going to keep it weird and we want you to be weird with us. So see you next time. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.